Today's anecdotal experience is sponsored by two guys I met outside of El Pollo Loco. I told them I produced a podcast and they gave me $20 to mention the interaction we were having during the intro. Easy money, baby. Easy money. Today on the podcast, Ryan Rosenau. He's been on the show before. He did an episode about his bionic arm. I don't think it's bionic's the right word. Animatronic? Prosthetic? I don't know. Go back and listen to that podcast. That was super interesting to me, especially if you like medical stuff, surgery stuff, um, artificial limb stuff. It's really good. But today we're talking about family dynamics, your extended family. What if you don't fuck with them, you know? What if you're not about them? What if you have different ideology? What if you don't think their beliefs are good? Um, What's that like? I don't know. What if you think what the lifestyle they live is negative and not good for them? You know, is it your job to help them correct their behavior? And also, do you have to keep them in your life? That's always what I wonder. Do you have to keep them around? Um, Do you need to... Is How important is family? Can you generate a new family? Disregard the old family? I don't know. I don't know, but we talk about that today. Um, oh, also want to mention, going to start a new podcast with my friend Zach Powers. Been on the show before. I'll promote it or something, but that's what's up. Let's do this with Ryan Rose now. Pretty uh, interesting extended family down in Birmingham, Alabama. That's right. What was... Okay. Uh, were they super Christian, like Baptist? Yeah, they're definitely Baptist. They're and dysfunctional on so many levels. It's like not to equate being Baptist with dysfunction. <laughs> it didn't make sure. that, but like, um, you know, like racist and and backwards old time. You know, I I I feel like if you picture the stereotype of some old person from. Birmingham, Alabama, you'll pretty much get most of it. Right. Um, then you, okay, so what's that, what was that experience like growing, did you grow up there or did you grow up in Ohio? I moved to Ohio pretty young. I think it was like seven when we moved up here. Um, and even when I was in Alabama, where I was born, most of my memories from there are from like Huntsville, which is, it's definitely not the same thing as like Birmingham. Yeah. Oh, it's, the, their main business in Huntsville is like rocket science. Okay. So it's definitely like a much more like educated, um, less like hillbilly kind of vibe. Um, so I was not, I didn't really spend a lot of time in that scene. Like, you know, the, the really like hillbilly redneck Alabama scene. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'd go visit them. It was only, like, a day trip. We'd go from Huntsville to Birmingham. We'd go there, like, pretty often throughout the year, and then obviously, like, holidays and stuff like that. When did you... When did you know... When did you start, like, as a kid, when did you start to notice that, like, they were, uh, like, weird or strange or different from you? Pretty early on. <laughs> it was... There were some things about them that, like, made me uncomfortable even as a little kid. Um, like, the, 
the family that I'm talking about is mostly on my mom's side. My dad's side of the family, I never really got along with super well either, but it wasn't for the same reasons. They just they're just not warm people at all. We just didn't like spend a lot of time with them. Right. But on my mom's side, like that's like the real hillbilly stuff. Like um, what type of stuff like made you uncomfortable or what was what was like what was weird about it? I guess what I wanna know is like what was like what were like very uncomfortable moments and then also when did you when were moments when you're like when you're a kid? I remember like being friends with a mentally disabled person and it took me a long time to really be like, Whoa, this is a this is what is going on with this guy, you know? So like what yeah. what age was that for you? Pretty much as far back as I can remember, there there was something about them that made me feel uneasy in a way that I couldn't really put my finger on. Okay. And, and I, it's not just the cultural differences, like it's not the fact that they were hyper-conservative, fundamental, you know, backwards, right-wing, hillbilly people. Like, that stuff, I was totally oblivious to any of that stuff as a kid. But in addition to all that, they just had a lot of weird, like, social problems. Like, I had an aunt, my mom's little sister, who, she's just got a lot of weird, like, personality issues. Like, she's a major hypochondriac and a hoarder and, like, very self-destructive and self-pitying. And she would always just kind of be this, like, negative energy hanging around. She was always hanging out over there whenever we'd go there and just sort of in the background kind of whining about stuff and trying to get attention. And uh, That was pretty clear to me, you know, even as a little kid, that, like, that wasn't normal. Um, There's general bad, like, bad vibes, like, didn't get along with your mom? Yeah, like, she just didn't have the social capacity to get along with anybody. She's just, like, a very deeply socially dysfunctional person. Like, her lifestyle was 100% self-destructive behavior. Like, she, she's hugely morbidly obese and, you know, does nothing to try to address that. Right. She's convinced that she has every, every disease on the planet, you know, that she doesn't actually have and uses that as a, an excuse not to, like, get up or do anything. And so she would just always kind of be sitting around in the background with, like, you know, propped up on pillows and whining about whatever ailment she thought she had. And Really? Um, yeah, just like a crazy... Like hypochondriac hoarder? What was that? Hypochondriac and also a hoarder? Yeah. So we didn't spend a lot of time at her house. She was usually at my grandparents' house. The few times that I did go to her house, I remember being so grossed out as a kid. Like, Really? I, I just, yeah, I just smelled bad, like, she had a bunch of cats and it was like wall to wall clutter and junk and stuff like that and she um she was married to a guy named Mark Uncle Mark <laughs> yeah uh, one of the worst people I've ever known really like together they were such a shit show because she she was everything I just described and then he was like super like sleazy and um Furby and gross like thank god my parents had the intuition even before anything like came out about him to just have a standing rule that we weren't allowed to like spend time with him so like nothing ever happened to us but after after like I don't know I was probably in high school when all this stuff happened um he got in trouble with work like the, the company that he works for for having I think it was like 
can't remember what flag them to check this out, but they like looked at his work hard drive and he had like child porn on it. What? And yeah, he had like used their company credit card for like escorts at one point. Like just he was just a, a shitty gross person. He was a taekwondo instructor and apparently like some allegations came out about him getting pretty handsy with some of his students and stuff. Um together. How long was he married to your aunt for? What's that? How long was he married to your aunt for? They were together through my whole life. I know that they were already together when I was born, and then they ended up divorcing. I think I was like sixteen or seventeen. Um, so in total, I, I think probably like twenty years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And what was was he? Um, like, was he? That sounds a weird. Question. Who? I guess my question is like, who marries a like hypochondriac hoarder? Do you know what I'm saying? Was well, he yeah, like heavy himself, or like what was his deal? I think it applies both ways because they're both like so, <laughs> so like undesirable. Yeah, I sure. Don't, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's point was they're both just like out of the game. So like you know they saw each other and it was like I guess we'll do. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they got together, but they don't, they made no sense together at all. Right. Completely different energy. Um, each horrible in their own way. But, I don't know. Now, I've always wondered that. Like, what if they're, what if they're meeting and like, like initial yeah. dating? And stuff I always like, wanted to tell them, like, how did you guys fall in love? Or did you fall in love? Or did you just be like, hey, I'm, I need someone around? <laughs> and like no one else wants to be around me I don't know it, it must have been that it, it has to have been that second option because they never there was no warmth at all in their interactions like they didn't seem like they liked each other in any way and uh you know they were both just so dysfunctional I think they must have like you said they just needed somebody around and they found another dysfunctional person that also needed somebody around so they made like a really depressing deal with each other that's yeah well did when you would like was it generally like in your family was it like if you had to go down to alabama was it like uh like we got to go down to yeah so i always picked up on like pretty negative vibes towards that side of the family from my mom um and i found out more and more details as i got older like why that was, but she had a pretty bad childhood in their household. Really? Her dad, yeah. Her dad actually, funny, he, he passed away between the last time you and I talked. Oh, really? It's pretty recently. So it's weird, like, I, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's rational or not, but it feels very different to talk about somebody who's, like, dead. Yeah. Than to talk about somebody who's still alive. But I don't know. I feel less comfortable, like, being totally blunt with like everything that was wrong with this guy. Yeah, but, speaking ill um, of the dead or whatever. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. I don't know. I, I what I mean, do what you want, but I feel like if things are true, it's like who you know what I mean. Like, I I get what okay, you're saying. I don't, think it, I don't think it's rational. Like, I'm not saying that I actually shouldn't. It just yeah, feels uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just weird. Um, but he was like a, a just a super shitty guy. Like, just and it not all on him like he, he grew up like you know dirt floor 
barefoot Appalachian mountain hillbilly, like super fucking poor right. depression. And his dad was terrible. You know, one of those like abusive alcoholic, like 1920s depression era dad, you know, um, like my great grandfather on that side. So he had a lot of baggage of his own and he just didn't deal with it in a healthy way at all. Like he took it out on his family and his, his, uh, his whole energy was resentful and he was more quiet. Like he didn't do a lot of outward, like overt abuse. Right. But, um, he would like, one of the things that my mom has described growing up is that he would make them feel like shit if they ever needed a doctor for any reason because he didn't want to pay hospital bills. Oh, really? And he was like, you know, when they were little kids, like if they get a fever or an injury, he would just like, put it on them like trying to make them feel guilty for it like they were like ruining his life or whatever um and it's just stuff like that like he just a super resentful bitter you know yeah 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 just like right just not yeah, just gen- like and, uh, not a lot of like love, and like you know what I mean. Like if your kid's sick, you take them to the hospital. You don't ask a lot of questions. You just go. You know, most parents are just like overly sensitive to that. They'll throw down whatever money they want to make sure their kid's not, you know, right. sick or uncomfortable or not doing well. You know. Yeah, so he didn't have any of that like parental warmth or whatever. What What did you think of him per like personally, like aside from whatever? you'd heard from family what when you would interact with them like what was your interactions like with them i didn't pick up on that stuff so much when i was a kid like he didn't he didn't show that side of himself to his grandkids when we were little so i i do remember having some fun with him when i was little i go over there and he had like a little garden in the back and he would like grow tomatoes and stuff and i remember going out there and kind of working on that stuff with him and having fun with him um yeah, most of the negative feelings that I had toward the family at a young age were directed toward my aunt and uncle. Like, okay. they were they were the ones that were most obviously, like, dysfunctional yeah. as kids. But, um, you know, when I started getting older and, and getting to know him a little bit better, I, I did see a lot more of the, like, shittier side of him that I hadn't seen when I was little. And, um, yeah. What so type of stuff? Point for me, yeah, what type? Sure. Go ahead. The big turning point for me was when my um, parents left the country to spend a month in Bolivia. I was eight, and they decided to like have us stay with with those grandparents while they were out of the country. And at that point, I was still in the mindset of like, oh, you know, their house is kind of a fun place to be. I don't like it when Uncle Mark and Aunt Rachel come over, but really fun you know I was looking forward to it right but um it turned out that living there for a month was a very different experience than going there for like Christmas day yeah and I got to see a lot of like what my mom had been talking about from like when she was a kid if you feel it like when you're when you're living under somebody's roof you can't help but like pick up on all the subtle energies and stuff like that yeah and he just like he was kind of a tyrant the way he ran that house there was something just sort of tyrannical about him and it was such arbitrary stuff. It was like he just had to be like in control of every little thing. Like we had a family dog, um, a collie, that for whatever reason he decided that like it was just not ever going to be allowed in the house. 
Yeah. It's like such a, sh- a shitty house. Like, there's no reason. They had nothing to protect. Yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. Dog being there would not have made it any worse. Um, so he just chained him up in the yard for the whole month. And it was like the middle of the summer in Alabama. So, like, I was really worried about him. I kept going out there to check on him. And he was, you know, like having fucking heat stroke. And stuff. Yeah. And there was one night, you know, they get a lot of tornadoes in Alabama. And there was one night that this, like, huge storm came through and all the tornado warnings were going and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, for sure, we're going to be able to, like, bring Pippin in. Yeah. Night. You know, and he, he still wouldn't let him. Like, he left him chained up in the yard, like, with this fucking tornado, like, coming through the neighborhood. So, that's just, like, the kind of guy that he was, and that really, I don't know. That was, like, it opened my eyes to the fact that, man, this guy's, like, kind of a piece of shit. Like, there's no reason to care about that, but it was just, like, a rule that he set, and he wasn't going to back down from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. that, like, bums me out. I think just in general, like... Uh, that does like there was a family that lived across the street from uh one of my friends and they had this dog cherokee that they just it was chained to a like a pole and they never brought it inside like the dog lived its entire life in this like maybe 20 feet or 10 feet radius around a pole um and just like Dude, that's like so depressing. It was like just depressing to look at, you know. Yeah. It's like a certain that's type terrible. of person that does that, you know. Yeah, I don't even know what you like as that that person. What do you see when you look at that dog? Like you, you can't be looking at it as like a living thing. If you're gonna put it in that kind of a condition. Yeah, it's it's fucked up, dude. And that's the culture in their neighborhood, too. And, like, that was another thing that was new to me. Like, at this, at this point, like, when I was over there as an eight-year-old kid, I didn't really know. I hadn't spent a lot of time getting to know the people on their street or anything. Because, like I said, we would just show up and do a Christmas day or whatever. And right. So living there for a month, you'd, like, start to meet neighbors and spend time with people and stuff. And it was, like, really gross to me, like, just seeing what a impoverished, fucked up, like, meth lab kind of neighborhood they lived in. Because it right. was, like, one of those little first-generation suburbia neighborhoods, you know? Like, one of the first ones that popped up in the 40s or 50s or whatever. Right. Um, and, I, and I'm sure it was, like, pretty idyllic when they first moved in, but they just stayed there, and it devolved into this mom over time. Just like, I mean, like I said, I'm... I just feel like everybody on that street had a meth lab. <laughs> it was like really gross. The guy next door had all this drama with his ex and his dogs. Like he had this ex that was like always coming over and starting fights in the middle of the night and stuff. Like they had this feud going on. Yeah. And at one point, one of his dogs was just dead in the yard. Are you serious? And I, like, we, my siblings and I found it. And the rumor, I, I've never confirmed whether or not this was true, but the rumor among all the like, you know, redneck, redneck gossipers on the street was that his ex had come and poisoned it. Oh man! Like, just that kind of like hillbilly drama for a month. It was, I, it was like I said, a turning point. I was like, man, I really just can't fuck with my family at all. Like, this is not right. These not people I want to be around. What was and the? It's always been weird to me. Like, sorry. What, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's always been weird to me when I meet people who are like really close to their extended family. I mean, it's like something I'd rather just not think about, you know? Yeah, totally, man. It's, so it was, like, you just have this relationship with that extent, that part of the extended family that you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to see them, I don't want to be near them? 
Yeah. When was the last time you've been down there? Um, I went down there briefly in, I think it was 2014. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe 2015, but I, I didn't, I was, my family, my immediate family was down there. They were getting together with some people for a family reunion or whatever. Yeah. And I just, I just road tripped down with my ex and met up with them for like a day. But I didn't go to anybody's, I didn't go to my family's home or anything like that. They just had like rented a space for the stream. And so I just kind of like dropped by and said, hey. Yeah, just didn't want to be, but for the, you, you knew consciously, you're like, I don't want to be around these people very long. Do they know that? Yeah, and like, I don't know. I think they must have picked up on it. Um, it's gotten a lot like worse through their home. The last time I was at their house was, I think, '09, and after my aunt Rachel divorced Mark, she moved in with them and just like evolved even further from what she already was. Like now she, she's got herself convinced that she's like a bedridden invalid and just moved all of her clutter into their house and they're just sort of like enabling her and it's turned into such a depressing place. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like she's she really had like a powerful influence on yeah. Do they see it that yeah. way? Like do they kinda of, I don't know, I like for I know people like that they just kind of like wallow in their own misery like did they see it that way or are they do you know what I mean are, are they self aware of like how depressing their life is or how depressing you see their life no that's the crazy thing because like my my mom and I don't know I'm so thankful I'll always be thankful for the fact that somehow my mom broke away from this like culture that her whole family has and actually like you know, made something of her life and decided to contribute in some way. But she's always talking to them, like trying to get them to recognize that about themselves. Like you got to get out and like do something, right? you know, try to find somebody to help or somebody to contribute to your community or do something other than just like sit in your own filth and collect trash. And, you know, they've always just got some excuse like, Oh, you know, understand how hard it is like Rachel's got to have all of her medications and it's like I don't know they just in their mind everything that's going on with their life is justifiable and inevitable like it's the only way they could be yeah nothing's wrong yeah and maybe they're not happy with it but they just don't believe that they could change it it's like yeah, it's yeah. just the hand we were dealt you know um and I think they also yeah they don't recognize like how how fucked up it is but my my grand um, for whatever reason, I don't know why this ended up being what we called them, but uh, in the South, for some reason, the like mom and dad label that's pretty common is mother and daddy. It's like a weird pairing because mother seems like way more formal than daddy, but right. that's, so they were grandmother and granddaddy to us when we were kids. And um, my grandmother is alone now because her like I said he, he passed away right. a couple of years ago and she's been kind of exploring like some of her, her memories and like documenting some stuff now um I you know just I guess she's thinking about mortality and trying to like leave behind kind of a a record of her life or something and it's been really interesting to see 
back from her. Like, she's been emailing those to my family, and I've been seeing some of them. Because it offers some insight into the fact that, like, the stuff that's fucked up about her really is, like, the product of culture she grew up in. Yeah. But, you know, she, she's actually got, like, a very tiny part, which I didn't really notice so much as a kid, because I, it was just too surrounded by all the, the gross bullshit of her life. But reading some of her commentaries on stuff that she witnessed growing up in, like, the super impoverished part of the deep south that she lived in, it's been humanizing, which is good. Right. Like, just shared one story. I always thought of her as being, like, really backwards, but she is, especially with stuff about race. Um, and, it, you know, I would just put that on her. Like, I don't know why she's that way. Yeah. But one of the stories that she shared was um, when she was, when she had her first child, and I, I never met him. He was my mom's older brother, Gary, and he passed away in a uh, Coast Guard accident two years before I was born. Mm-hmm. And an oil tanker hit the ship that he was on, and it sank. Wow. But um, he sounded like he was a pretty cool guy, too. I think he and my mom were both, like, the ones that would have gotten out. Yeah. But he just he just passed away young. But anyway, when, when he was a baby, uh, my grandmother was out walking him, you know, in a stroller or whatever, and he threw up on himself, and so she went to some little general store, seen him up, and while she was doing it, she saw that there was a, an, another mother outside that had the same situation her child had like you know either thrown up on itself or had like a bad diaper or whatever and she came in to get him cleaned up too but they were black and so they weren't allowed in so like the store manager made them like go around back to the basement and use some kind of you know outdoor hose or whatever yeah and um as she was retelling this story she's retelling it now from all those years ago it was clear that she she had a moment of clarity where she realized like how fucked up that inequality was. Right. And she was saying that it was something that made her feel like really sad and, and guilty for being allowed to do this thing that this other person wasn't allowed to do. And that was really insightful for me to hear that because I was like, man, I didn't know that she even had moments of that kind of self-awareness. Like she just seemed like, you know, she'll say those like ignorant Southern old people things like, you know, the neighborhood pretty good. I mean, some black people are starting to move in, but it's still okay. You know, like she's like that really like, oh, right. I don't say that. But, I don't know, it's weird to hear, like, even with that super ignorant, backwards mindset, like, she still could see, like, humanity sometimes. Well, know, like, I'm not trying to let her off the hook for being, like, backwards as fuck. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I know what that, like, experience has to be like, because you're, you grow, I mean, I don't, I, I understand you don't want to, like, fully let her off the hook or whatever, but, like, you grow up in a different world, you know, and it's, you know, you see life that way. And then you have an experience like that where you encounter someone who's in the exact same situation as you. You realize that they're just another human being and then you get some sort of different treatment than them. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know. I think a lot of times we like we're, you know, we're. I don't know. You grow up in that environment. People got to change. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt that they grew up in an environment that caused them to have a certain opinion about a certain race. Uh, and yeah, we just got to help them be, and you know, situations like that help them come to the reality that like, these are just human beings like you and me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it does anything to like make the 
problem that they have seem any better, but it, it does kind of recontextualize what the cause of the problem is. You know, it's like, okay, this isn't, this fucked up idea that you have didn't originate with you. It's not like you have an evil mind that created this fucked up idea. It's like you were just born in a fucked up place in time that instilled it in you. Yeah, and you we, still have the basic right. humanity to like see it for what it is sometimes, even if only for just a moment. Yeah, if we were born in that time and in that place, we would probably have the same opinions and we have to realize that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And it makes me wonder like what what stupid fucked up things do I think now that I'm just like totally blind to. Exactly, man. It's just uh you're a, it doesn't seem weird, it doesn't seem evil because it's not currently nobody makes you feel like it is, so. Right. What's the uh yeah, It definitely makes me think. Oh, yeah, I was just going to ask, like, when did your, what's, like, your mom's story? When did she kind of come to that realization that, like, I got to get the hell out of this place and away from living in this environment? She was pretty miserable, even as a kid. Yeah. I think she, like, she was waiting for something to come along to, like, give her an exit. Um, Like, I, I think even from, like, you know, middle school. And then... Um, I think her relationship with my dad kind of ended up being that for her. Like oh, he, okay. he and his family were from Wisconsin and they moved down there when he was like in high school. And so actually she met him through her older brother, her older brother, Gary and my dad were like best friends all through high school and stuff. Mm. And like, as they were hanging out, he, my dad met my mom and, and I think neither one of them were like, super close to their families so it was sort of like they both just decided to like get the fuck out gotcha Um, and so he yeah he went into the navy like right out of high school and then got an engineering job and then they just like moved away I think they were like moving around all over the place for the first few years of their marriage they lived in Louisiana and then lived up in Maryland I don't know if it was like a conscious effort to put distance between them and their families, but right. I think it definitely gave them that opportunity. Well, does your mom have any, uh, so you have your one aunt and then does she have any other siblings? No, other than the aunt and then her older brother who died in the Coast Guard. She was just one of three. And do you have any, um, I guess, do you have any like cousins or relatives, people down there that are like, closer to your age that you or maybe younger that you think about and you're like I wonder if they're getting out I wonder what their experience is like is there anyone that's kind of like stuck in that environment that you're yeah, like not I, on my mom's side okay um, my, my dad's side they're still all in Alabama like like I said they're from Wisconsin but once I moved down there they just stayed and now like I think it's just going to be like a multi-generational thing they're just in Alabama and there are some cousins on that side. Um, my dad was one of five brothers. So, um, i trying to think. I think he's only... I didn't really know them that well. Like, I only saw them every once in a while around the holidays. But I think that three of his brothers have kids. And um, maybe like, I think that's like eight cousins total between those three uncles mm-hmm. and I didn't really spend any time around any of them except for one 
um, my cousin Austin, he's like almost exactly my age. And he and I, whenever we'd go over there for Thanksgiving and stuff, he and I would just go off and play Legos or whatever, you know, yeah. little kid. Um, and you know, like when you're a kid, you don't have any kind of an identity at all. Like you're just like a, a generic. Yeah. You're know, starting generic. fresh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just like, I'm, I guess I should be your friend because you're my age and you're near me. So like we, we had no common ground at all other than that we were just two kids with no identity. Yep. Um, so there wasn't anything disparate between us because like we got along fine. But then as we got older and started to like actually figure out who we were, every time I go down there and hang out with him again, I realized like, oh, he's definitely like a different person than I am. Like he was very much a product of the South. How so? Conservative. And now... Like what observations? Say, um, I would just say... Like what, like that, that's interesting, like going kind of year by year and like, you know, as you do it, gain an identity as a person, kind of noticing the difference between you two, like what type of things would you notice year to year? Just like, I feel like it was mostly political and religious stuff, like the really like stereotypical South versus like more Northern kind of thing. Like he was definitely more bought into like the, you know, Second Amendment being like the, the end all be all. Yeah, exactly. Like, the ultimate symbol of freedom is being able to own guns and stuff like that. Right. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I am not completely. I, I didn't grow up and immediately walk away from everything like hillbilly. Like, I definitely spent some time being a hick with my hick friends. Sure. You know, yeah. growing up, like I would go down there and shoot shotguns and stuff. But, um, you just you slowly start to evolve based on the environment you're in. Right. And, um, he was just way more into that and had an interest in like the careers that he was interested in were much more blue collar. Like part of what made me like not fit in down there was the fact that from a really young age, I just wanted to be an artist. And that's like, that's just not one of the jobs on offer in that culture. You know what I mean? Like that you just wouldn't be taken seriously. So I would go down there and be all, you know, anything that I had going on in my life was like me working towards like trying to pick up art school or, you know, figure out what kind of media I wanted to work in. And he was like much more, you know, looking at careers in like the military or right. law enforcement or whatever. And he actually is now. He's a cop. So. Did they uh, resent think- you? There were, did they like, was there any sort of like, you think you're better than us type vibe between your family and their family? I do feel like there was something, I don't know if it was like, you think you're better than us, but it was, it, it did sometimes feel like you guys don't have like the time for us. You know, they like felt that way about us. Okay. They, they would all spend a lot of time together. Like all the other uncles and cousins and stuff would, would get together constantly and, you know, all live in the same space. And then we moved eight, nine hours away and would only come down, you know, at first once a year and then once every couple of years and then just not at all for like, you know, close to a decade. And I can see it from their side. Like we probably did seem like we just kind of didn't take the family connection seriously. And honestly, I, I don't like, it just doesn't mean much to me. I feel like family is sort of an arbitrary thing. It's like, okay, well just because we happen to share a lot of DNA, doesn't mean that we actually have to be important people to each other. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. Like, I think that's just not an opinion that they share. They're like, you know, family first kind of thinking. I just, I've never felt that way. I'm like, if people 
in your life are not good to be around and not good to you, it doesn't matter. You have to have like a blood connection with them. Yeah, dude, I feel the same way, and I've thought about that, but it is hard. It's like, I, I, I think it's not even necessarily, like, the blood connection, but it's like you have, it's like the roots. It's like, these are your roots. We're going to be around. If you want to see one of us, you're going to end up seeing all of us, and a lot of your life is tied to this. Um, And it, that was something I kind of came to the, you know, realization of you don't have like they're at the end of the day dude they're just people and if you really don't want to be around them like you don't have to you know yeah totally that's exactly how i feel but it is it, it does give me this weird guilt sometimes when i think about it like i, I do kind of feel like man did i just completely like abandon my family because i don't i don't like the way they make me feel i'm pretty confident that i i don't have anything to legitimately feel guilty for but Sometimes the thought, you know. Sure. The worst thing that happened, like, so that one cousin, Austin, who's, um, we're just talking about the cop guy, he, his dad passed away, um, from a brain tumor a few years back now. I think we're about two years out from that. And that was really awkward because I was like, man, I want to express some kind of support, but I've kind of, like, cut eyes with these people. And it's, so I, I did reach out to him and send him an email, like, trying to offer some kind of condolences or whatever. And it felt weird to me, like, to do that after all this time, like, I hadn't been down there. And he never responded. And, like, I don't know. That, that was probably, like, the most awkward thing that's come out of the, the sort of, like, self-imposed separation from my family. Why were you reluctant like, to reach out? Just because you... Do you know, why were you reluctant? Like, why was it... I didn't want Kind of weird to I do that. I didn't want to seem insincere. I was afraid that it would seem like, because I didn't, I hadn't been an active part of his life at all, and I didn't want it to seem like I was doing the bare minimum, you know? Like, oh, I'm not going to, like, come down and be with you, but I'll send you a letter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, just kind of like, it, so it was clear to you and your cousin that it was like, okay, you're not, you don't want to be associated with us anymore, right? Between you and him. Is that Yeah, I've never say? heard him say that, but I, I imagine it's probably pretty clear to him. And he believed that to be true as well? Yeah. Okay, so you reaching out was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know how someone's going to interpret something, like... Are they going to interpret it? Are, will this mean something to them? Or will they just be like, oh, you're just doing this because you feel like you have to, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you don't, so that, that cousin that you played Legos with, um, like, what's the relationship between you and him now? Like, do you ever, is there anything? Do you think it's like tense between him and you? Or what were things that, what what were things that like, made you real like moments or something where you were like man no this isn't you and me but continuing this relationship is kind of dumb for both of us you know we're just different people it was never like specifically him i think that I was, like sure he was just he came with the rest of the family exactly yeah. you know like so i i do have definitely some points of like disagreement with him like he's like I said, kind of a Second Amendment guy, and now he's, like, really big into the whole, like, law enforcement culture and stuff. Right. You know, being a cop. And, um, 
I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound judgmental or whatever, but I'm just not like super at ease around people like that. Yeah. Um, that's fine. But more than anything about him, it's just, I couldn't reestablish a connection with him without doing it to the whole family. And like the whole family is just a lot to deal with. Okay. But yeah, it's not, it's not him really I don't think there, there weren't any like moments of realizing like oh we have this huge cultural gap between us like me and him but I did have those moments with like the, the family at large right okay so he it's, just, he understands it's not per it's not like personal it's more like hey just culturally you're a part of this family dynamic and group that I'm I think I'm I'm done with yeah exactly Interesting. And it's never, like I said earlier, like it was never on my dad's side of the family where, where all the cousins are. It was never quite as negative or personal, right? As on my mom's side of the family, like they're not, they're not as deeply dysfunctional. They're just, there's just a big cultural disconnect. Like they are very, like hardcore right wing people on on my dad's side of the family. So I don't really fuck with that. But it's not the same thing where I've actually had personal experiences of like deep, deep dysfunction with them. Yeah, exactly. They're just different. Um, then yeah, there's just not a lot, of, not a lot of nuance or whatever. All right, then I are my I have a question for you. Like, I think a lot of times, especially myself, I don't see a lot of like, like I guess racism or just kind of like certain attitudes that probably are the type of attitudes that got Trump elected. Um, so I guess my question to you is like being, having been in that culture for a while or visited at least like, what would be things that you would tell people that you've seen and you'd want people to know, like, this is part of America. Like this is like, if you live in a city, if you live in a large city, that's got a lot of, um, forward thinking people, what are things you've noticed to be like, this is what I've experienced this is still America. You may live in a city, but understand this is still happening and this is why we have, you know, someone like a Donald Trump type um, yeah. being elected. Like, what are the things you've noticed and you would want people that don't see this a lot to know is still going on in America? I think that the, the thing that stands out most is like, I don't know, maybe like the, the key point of cultural dysfunction in that in that scene is just like the completely unprecedented, unfounded, irrational fear that those people have of like anything changing. Any kind of like new thing. Like my my mom's side of the family is definitely the, the one that makes a better example of that. Like they sit in their shitty, slummy house, accumulating junk and, you know, like, barely able to turn on a computer that's running, like, Windows 95. Right. That's the full full extent of their technological knowledge is, like, <laughs> turning that computer on and opening whatever, like, Juno or whatever yeah. like, antiquated email clients they're using and sending out chain emails about Jesus and stuff. Right. Um, they, 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 they spit in that, and they are just deliberately and consciously dislocating themselves from everything that's changing culturally around them because they're just for whatever reason they're just fucking terrified of it 
I think that I don't and I, I don't know what causes it, like where it starts, but I, I've definitely seen the things that perpetuate it. Like I mean, the chain emails that they send to each other are a big part of it. They they send these stupid religiously charged emails with all this like misinformation about you know what's happening in the government and the liberal agenda and how it ties in with like the end times and it just it's, they keep each other in this cycle of like fear and yeah mistrust and I think that when that starts happening they stop analyzing whether or not there's anything about what they're used to that actually would be good to change right the concept of change in and of itself just becomes a fearful thing to them. And uh, it, it's weird to hear them talk about stuff like there's no there's no vetting process at all as to whether or not something would actually be good to have. Like, they talk about electric cars. Like, there's some kind of evil thing. Like, man, it's all just part of this, like, newfangled left-wing agenda. The fucking left wants to take real cars off the road. And, and like, what... It, how is that an evil agenda? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? It so, doesn't matter. It's just anything new. Anything new at all. Anything new. terrifying to them. Wow. So and, anything involving change is going to change in a negative way, and it's not good. Yeah. And you can see that in every aspect of their lives. Like, even the fact that they've consisted on staying in his neighborhood has just deteriorated into a complete slum. It's the same phenomenon. Like, moving to a new place, like finding a neighborhood that isn't full of that shit would be changed and that's scary. They're just going to sit there and like let their neighborhood rot around them and just die in it. Do you think it's this, do you think it's this fear that the world is moving on without them? Do you know what I mean? Like they're so, maybe it's because they're so removed from like a larger city or a larger community. They catch wind of this stuff and it feels like, they, everyone is kind of moving forward, making progress. And I think a lot of that having to do with um, financially and like how much money you have. And it's almost seeming more like the more money you, you're going to, in order to live and survive in this world, you're going to need more money. So it feels like the world is kind of getting, growing faster and people are getting more money and that they're kind like, it's moving on without them. Like soon they won't be able to live because the world has moved so far forward and they haven't changed. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really interesting interpretation. I hadn't thought about that, but I, that, that might very well be part of it. I know a lot of it's religion, you know. Right. They, they, um, the weird thing about religion is that I feel like every generation of Christians has their own native interpretation of the whole doctrine. You know, like, is that, is that the version of the Bible that they were given in their church? Right. And then their kids are going to have a slightly different version of the Bible that they're given in theirs, and on and on and on. Like, if you, if you were to go back to, like, early colonial America and hear what Christians sounded like back in the days of, like, the Puritans and stuff, it will be way different from, like, a Baptist church in the 60s. Yeah, exactly. And a Baptist church in the 60s is way different than like some hip non-denominational church now. It's different for every generation, but whatever generation you're born into, you're so married to the version you were given at that age. Because it, it's such a sacred, you know, sacrosanct thing. Like this is unchangeable. 
absolute, it has to be this way or I'm going to hell. Like, there's no awareness among religious people of the fact that this is a very fluid set of roles. Like, it's yeah. so much over time. And um, I think that's part of what's at work. Like, she, my, my grandmother and, and my aunt are, are both thinking about the Baptist, the, the 1950s, 1960s presentation of the Baptist doctrine that they were given. And the idea that anything is going to change in the world or in the interpretation of the Bible or anything like that seems like it has like eternal ramifications for them. Like their, their whole concept of the universe and heaven and hell and stuff like that, it depends on everything staying the same as it was when they're no, I know what you mean. It is this weird thing where it's the Bible is not changing. Like that is the thing. The Bible is always the same, but the culture is constantly uh, dividing off and you know becoming different. You be you're born into this culture because I think that's the same thing with me. I mean, I was born into like a Christian culture, and it was like. In, in uh, you know, everyone born into it that stuck with it, it's the belief that, like, this, all these ideology and the way it's interpreted in this culture is the way it's always been. And we need to make sure that anyone else that has a different interpretation or idea of this it needs to know that they're wrong. But in reality, it's like, no, you're just a product of, it, it, you're you're starting from a different place. You're starting from a new culture. There's someone that looks at you and the way you interpreted the Bible and you have you know, a guitar for worship music or something like that. And they think that's insane. And that's the devil, you know? So you gotta, it's, it's like you said, it is, it's fluid and it's changing. But a lot of times people don't recognize the fact that it's fluid and changing and they're kind of coming into the religion at a point where it's been changed from what someone else would say is heresy, you know? Yeah. And what you said, like, the Bible isn't changing, but the interpretations of it and the presentation of it are a lot. Like, if you look at, I mean, you know, the whole debate over the heliocentric model of the solar system was fueled by an interpretation of the Bible, because there are verses that talk about the sun rising and setting, and, and People who studied the Bible were like, well, no, if we're actually orbiting the sun, then it can't rise and set like the Bible says it does, so that can't be right. Like, we have to be stationary and the sun orbits us. Like, it caused this huge debate in the scientific community, and then eventually all the evidence kind of won out, and it's like, no, we're definitely orbiting the sun, you guys need to just fucking chill. So now, you know, when people are reading those specific versions that talk about the sun rising and setting, it's understood that, like, oh, it's Figurative, like it doesn't literally mean the sun is going up and coming down. Right. And uh, and you know now more and more Christians are accepting the idea of evolution. So like more parts of the creation account are being considered like kind of figurative or, or metaphorical or whatever. And it's like I don't know. To me, it just seems like holding on to anything about the Bible is sort of silly because it's just going to end up getting recontextualized. Like as as more and more evidence comes to light contradict the literal interpretation of it it's just gonna end up the whole thing's just gonna be totally figurative you know what i mean i do i agree and there's part of me that that's how i feel i'm like i i respect the real true christians that are like they read the bible and they're like you can't be gay 
the earth rises and falls evolution's fake it says so in the bible <laughs> do you know what i mean like i respect that so That's much exactly how I feel. you gotta it's gotta be all or nothing i don't understand the people who cherry pick like no i i do think there's a god and jesus who loves me but all the other stuff is unimportant i'm like well then why believe in any of it i don't understand why you're just gonna try to take like the fun parts of this like very nuanced old religion that has some really fucked up stuff in it and, and try to somehow separate them from yeah. the rest of it yeah, or apologize for it, and I'm like, dude, just either either eat the whole sandwich or don't. Like, don't be like, uh, like <laughs> it's either true or it's not. So, yeah, I get it, dude, totally. Yeah. But all that to say, I think that that is a big part of why they're afraid, because, like, they've built everything that they believe and understand about their lives and the universe and the world around them on this interpretation of this religion in in like the current iteration that it was in when they were growing up and it is pretty rigid you know like it, right. it has all these prescriptive things so like you were saying like you can't be gay uh, evolution is definitely not even conceivably possible because like we know <laughs> we know that God's made man and woman and there's don't even get them started on transgender because that just completely throws them for a loop yeah yeah like all that stuff all that stuff contradicts the version of Christianity that they are very deeply attached to and emotionally attached to. Like, everything that they need to believe in to feel any peace of mind falls apart because that stuff starts getting challenged. So yeah. new stuff almost, almost universally flies in the face of their religious beliefs. And I, I think what you said a minute ago about the economic concerns, like it's getting more expensive to live when people are making more money and stuff like that, I never thought about that aspect of it, but I think that goes along with it. It's like, challenging their worldview, it's challenging their economic stability, and it's all just really scary to look at from a distance, which is how they see it, because they're definitely not in the game, like they're way out on the fringes looking in on it. Yeah, I think it's it's everything, It's but I, I do think it is mostly that religious, and even, I don't know, even like old people, right, like, not even the southern people, just like old people, they're like... Oh, it used to be like this. Oh, it's changing. Things are changing and it's not good. Because the reality is, it's like, oh, things are changing. They're saying, I'm not willing to adapt and things are changing. Like, I'm going to have to adapt and that scares me, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what it is. It's like, I, and it's like, this is the way it's supposed to be. And we're adapting and we're changing and we're learning. Even like, uh, even like, let's just say gay marriage, real simple, right? Um, the fact that you're like, you, you can kind of be like, oh, no, gay marriage. Even a lot of like liberal people were like, no, you can't be gay and get married. Like, you can't do that. But now you're faced with, friends that are gay and want to be married and they have reasons and you're like oh well i gotta it seems logical to me now i gotta look this in the face and say i gotta adapt and change and say like oh maybe the way i always thought it was supposed to be is not the way it it's scary because it's something you always believe to be universally true you're kind of confronted with the fact that Oh, I used to think gay people shouldn't get married, but now I'm coming to the realization that like they, it's you know, a, whatever right that we have, they should have too, you know. And it's scary because you thought they were universal truths, and they really are not. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good point. The, the, having something that feels like a universal truth suddenly change 
completely takes all the stability out of out of your whole worldview. Like, a universal truth is a very comforting thing, even if it's not, even if it's a truth that doesn't seem inherently comforting. Just having something that seems like it will always be the case, no matter what, gives you a feeling of stability. Yep. Yep. That's and then it. having that suddenly, be like, oh, actually, this is subject to change or reinterpretation or whatever. It robs you of that. You're like, well, okay, well, like, there are no rules anymore. Like, now everything's just, like, open to reinterpretation. I, I can, I do understand it. Like, I, I'm not at a place in my life where I'm resistant to change anymore, but I have definitely had those moments where, like, something has happened that sort of redefined how I think about stuff and it made me feel kind of shaken. I mean, that's what it felt like when I decided that I didn't buy into Christianity. Like, my, my family raised me very Christian. Mm-hmm. And in high school, I realized that, like, actually, I don't think I believe this. I think it was a good move for me. I'm, I'm glad that I had that realization. But at the time, it did really shake me. I'm like, yeah. all these universal rules are just, like, gone now. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. And I think that feeling of just, like, desperately clinging to some kind of universal rule is what drives all of these, like, old conservative southern people like they just need that feeling of stability and all these new like really socially encouraging good things that are happening in the world to them what those represent is just a threat to that stability yeah that's what it is and it's i don't know because i mean i had the same situation as you and it's it's a little bit scary but once you actually i think i don't know for me at least it was I realized the universal truths really weren't there the whole time anyway, and I kept trying to like look the other way. So personally, it was kind of freeing for me to, you know, let go of what I thought I believed were universal truths, and I could be like, oh, you know what? I don't know shit. I don't know jack shit, man. Let's just try to figure out what I think is, what I what's see what I believe is true today, you know. Yeah, man. So, okay, my my final question for you is, uh, in the future, what do you kind of, what what observations have you made about family? Like you said, you, you kind of see them in reality as just other human beings, but um, as you get older and you have a family, like what, what do you, what do you find important? with maintaining touch with family and how important do you find um, that family bond currently, you know, as you create your own family in the future? Or do you? I would definitely love, I, I would, I would love to foster that kind of environment where people actually do feel comfortable and, and um, connected their extended relatives like you know if I, if I end up starting a family that extends out to, you know different branches and stuff like that and we have like the whole extended family thing going there I really do want I want everybody in that whole network that family network to have each other because I I have regretted a lot throughout my life that I didn't have that I mean I have friends I have people that do support me but it is a little bit sad to have to like look outside of your family for that sort of stuff so yeah me, like, the best case scenario is you do have an environment with your extended family that is welcoming and that doesn't make you feel, like, sick to your stomach when you have to go see them. Right. Um, and I think probably the most important step in that is just making sure that everybody's got 
disagree with each other. Yeah. Like, that would not have gone over well. Like, if I had been down at one of the family dinners in Alabama, you know, everybody gathered around, I had expressed, like, my outlying opinions about something societal or religious or whatever, you know, it would have been, it would have been bad. It would not, it wouldn't have been received well at all. Yep. Um, and I think that's a big part of why I ended up feeling like I just had to distance myself from them. Because, you know, even if you're hanging out with people that you disagree with, as long as everybody's cool with, like, hearing the different opinions, it's fine. Like, you don't have to be around people exclusively that you agree with about stuff. Right. But there, there has to be some license to, like, discuss it and, like, some open-mindedness or whatever. So, um, that's what I would love. I would love to have that environment. Like, it, it, it's something that I do feel like I really missed out on growing up. And even in my adult life, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I just had, like, dozens or, you know, something that I... Yeah, I didn't grow up in, yeah, I, I didn't grow up in that either, and I do think that's something that's important to me too, to kind of have an environment where nobody's going to get mad. If you have, like, a different opinion, if you have some wacky, wild opinion that's, you know, completely not based in reality, people won't get mad, they won't tell you you're wrong, they'll just probably not ask you any more questions, you know? But, yeah, just have an environment where people can... Ha- be be willing to accept that they might be wrong about the, what they believe about the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's funny, man. I, I have that exact same thought. I, I, I have that thought of, like, my kids are going to be like, where did I come from? Like, where do I go when I die? And I'm just going to tell them, like, how would I know? Like, how would I know that? <laughs> I am not God. You need to realize that. I'm just a guy like you, you know? Yeah, that's the only answer you can give. Like. Alright, well cool man. Anything uh anything else you wanted to share that we didn't get to? Oh, I think I pretty much covered it. Well cool man. Thanks for doing this. It's been real. Yep. If uh if you're ever in LA, dude, hit me up. You uh you got a place to crash, so Oh, good to know. I'll pick you up on that. All right, sounds good, man. I'll uh, I'll be posting this soon. All right. All right. Cool, man. All right, take it easy, buddy. Take care. Peace.